0: Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. And actually, I need someone to stand and read for us. And uh, if you read today, Joel is going to give you a 50% discount on your tithe. So, uh, right? Yeah, Yeah. Okay. All right. So, somebody just raise your hand that feels compelled to read that your voice must be heard this morning. Okay. Wow. I can stand in this awkward silence for a really long time. So as you're rolling over the fear in your own heart about whether or not you're being led to pray and God's calling you to go to that place where you don't want to go, but He's saying, come with me anyway. Let me tell you that uh, this uh, topic that we're talking about today, this is a tough topic that we're going to dive into. Matter of fact, on uh, Friday, when I was working on this sermon and just kind of preparing and praying, I I really found myself uh, Friday afternoon about 230 I just, I just threw up my hands. I just said, oh, "I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to work on this sermon. I don't want to work on this topic." I was just kind of worn out, and I felt like uh, the Lord was just not. It wasn't coming easy, and it was in that moment that I realized that I was really angry about doing this sermon because the Lord was saying this sermon is for you, and I didn't want it. It was like. You know, he said, this is what I got. I've, I need to deal with you on this issue. So if you guys get anything out of this, that's a bonus. Because this was for me on Friday that I had business that I had to do with the Lord in my own heart. Because because I'd missed this point, I'd become stuck even in my journey with Christ. Now, you may feel like you're stuck this morning. Uh, maybe this is why. I don't know. But if you get something out of it, that's a bonus. Because uh, I feel like it's already done its work. So who's ready to, who's ready to read? Matthew chapter 6. Yeah, we got a reader in the back. Please, introduce yourself. I'm Guy East right Indiana. That's such a cool name, man. Guy East. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, like from Johnny Quest or something, you know? All right, I want you to read. If you'd read uh, out of chapter 6 uh, all the way to the end of the Bible, that would be great. No. <laughs> Start in verse 9, and if you would just read uh, through verse 13. And remember, we've been doing this series on the Lord's Prayer, so hear what Jesus had to say about this topic. Thank you, Guy. appreciate that. He did a great job, didn't he? Just a big voice. You know, uh, we've been talking about prayer. We've talked about the journey of God as our Father, which means that we're recapturing an identity that maybe is the easiest identity to forget, which is that we're sons and daughters, that He's holy, that we're discovering the very purpose for which He made us, that uh, His will be done, His kingdom come. All that stuff. And now we've come to the passage where it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And this is probably one of the scariest verses in the Bible because what Jesus is saying is, I want you to pray with me that God would do to you exactly what you do to other people. This is tough. I mean, that's a mouthful... To hear Jesus say, You're asking God to forgive you in the exact same way that you forgive other people. And the reason it's so tough is because for me personally, I'm not a good forgiver. I'm really not a good forgiver. I I can remember back, I can remember wounds all the way back, even to like first grade. KK Wilson was my very first girlfriend, (laughs) she was smoking as a first grader, all right? And she promised me it was February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, that I was anticipating getting out of bed that morning and going and receiving the sweetest Valentine's card I'd ever received from my very first girlfriend, whose name was KK. That's just so cool, isn't it? I get there, she's walking across the room, my heart is beating. The moment I anticipated, she walked past me, And went to my best friend, Jeffrey Jones, and delivered a Valentine's. I know, yeah, (laughs) thank you. You know, it's funny because uh, that hurt. I was betrayed in first grade. And we laugh about it. But I want to tell you something that's underneath that, that's really serious. Those silly little wounds that we think are ridiculous now, guess what? They weren't ridiculous. Ridiculous. They weren't ridiculous at all because to a first grader, my world came to an end. And even as a first grader, I started making commitments out of unforgiveness that I began to live in as a second grader and got reinforced as a third grader and got reinforced again as a fifth grader. And now, as a silly adult, I often live out of commitments that I made back when I was in first grade. People cannot be trusted, people should not be forgiven. See, the reason that forgiveness is as hard is because forgiveness is never free. Your Bible may have read, if you read the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts and others. In other words, when I sin against God, I incur a debt. And when people sin against me, they incur a debt to me. And when there is a debt, there has to be a payment. And what Jesus is saying is that we need to pay the debt that other people incur to us. It's a price. Let me read for you. This is uh, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. I love how he describes the price that has to be paid when forgiveness is needed. He says, Beware of the pleasant view of the fatherhood of God. Which sounds like this. God is so kind and loving that of course he will forgive us. That sentiment has no place whatsoever in the New Testament. The only ground on which God can forgive us is the tremendous tragedy of the cross of Christ. To put forgiveness on any other ground is unconscious blasphemy. The only ground on which God can forgive sins and reinstate us in His favor is through the cross of Christ and in no other way. Forgiveness, which is so easy for us to accept, costs the agony of Calvary. It is possible to take the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification with the simplicity of faith, and to forget at what enormous cost to God it was all made ours. That's kind of breathtaking, isn't it? And I read that to you because when somebody sins against you, the cost is no less. When somebody sins against you, a price must be paid. Somebody's got to go to the cross. You know, and I, I'm i not going to... There's so much we could say about this, obviously. I could talk for hours about this from my own personal experience. But we all know that when we don't forgive, when we, when we tol, till the soil with pain in our lives, and pain often tills up the soil, and then we start to put seeds in that soil, and one of the seeds when we put in there is unforgiveness. You know the fruit that grows from that is things like bitterness and resentment and hatred, revenge, cynicism... And all these things conspire together to choke out our hearts and kill it. When I was in college, uh, I worked for this guy that owned a bunch of these gas stations in really seedy parts of town, which I didn't mind because I lived in a lot of those seedy parts of town. But the only people he get to work with me in those places were guys that were on work release program. These are guys that are in jail, but they get off on good behavior for eight hours to come work, but then they have to go back to jail at night. You know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody on work release right now? <laughs> no? Well, my favorite work release uh, prison bud was Joe Marion. And Joe was this giant of a guy. He was about six foot four, he was about 240 pounds, all muscle, and he was just redneck city. This was in Louisiana, by the way. And uh, he always wore these blue jean shirts with the sleeves cut off to display his big heart tattoos on both arms. And on his right arm, he had mom in the middle of it. And I'm not kidding you, seriously. Big heart tattoo with mom in the middle. That's sweet. And uh, Joe had a life philosophy. He was the funniest guy alive. I mean, just hilarious. I loved working with him. But make no bones about it. This was Joe's philosophy. Uh, Everybody is out to get you. You can't trust anybody. And your goal in life, now this was Joe's philosophy, your goal in life is to take advantage of them before they take advantage of you. He, he came by that by a lot of hard work because he had spent years in unforgiveness, years in bitterness, years in resentment, and it had worked itself into a life philosophy that guided every decision that he made in his life. You tracking with me now? So how do we forgive people? How do we keep from planting that seed in our lives that produces this wicked fruit that began to destroy us and choke out our heart. Okay, let me give them to you real quick, okay? The first thing that, uh, let's do it like this. Uh, Let's don't do it like that. First thing is own it. That there is uh, an offense. That somebody has committed an offense against you. Uh, Joe actually told me the story that the reason he was in jail, he was a poacher. He killed deer. And he was caught in his house and in his garage were all these freezers, and he had a hundred deer carcasses that he was selling out of his house. I could tell you how they tracked down and poached and spotlighted these deers, but unless you're from Louisiana, you really wouldn't appreciate it, all right? But somebody had uh, called the cops on him. A friend had turned him in. Now, in our economy, we would say, well, that's not a sin. In Joe's economy, that was the darkest of all sins. Someone had ratted on him. And you know, the truth is, when people sin against us, it hurts. It hurts. When people do things against us, it hurts. But some of us, owning it, is an impossibility. Some of us have grown up in a culture where our number one desire is to make peace. So when somebody comes up to us and says, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I well, that's, okay. that's okay. That's okay. No, it's great. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Or when people do something against us, we always make excuses for them. Oh, you just don't understand what they've done in their past or what they've experienced there. We tend to downplay it, and we ignore the pain and say it's okay. We belittle the price that needs to be paid. Second thing, confess it. What do I mean by that? If I don't confess and enter into the fact that pain of someone sinning against me leads me to a place that's not always pretty, then I'm not going to have eyes to see it. Because pain has a capability of creating anger in me, creating revenge in me, creating my own sin. Actually, pain has a way of leading us into the very place that the sin that came against me was birthed from. Isn't that funny? We can easily become what's wounded us. How many people have you seen that says, you know what, I hate my parents because of what they've done to me. You don't understand what my parents did. My mom was a raging alcoholic. And I hate her and that alcoholism for the way that it wounded me and created all this pain in my life. And then you ask them, so why are you an alcoholic? They've become the very thing that they hated. You ever seen that? In your own life? So what do we do? We confess that we are fragile in the midst of all this pain. Joe Marion, again, this is kind of Joe Sunday. We were working one night, and this guy came into our little, it was one of those little convenience store gas stations in a seedy part of town. And uh, this guy walked in the door, and Joe came flying over the counter. We had the cigarette things that were above us, you know, where you, you know, and that just went crashing everywhere because his 240-pound frame came over, and he began to beat this guy up down one aisle, then down the soup aisle, then down the candy aisle, and this guy staggered out, and his buddies got him out of there. Joe almost killed the guy, and he comes, and he sits back down on the stool and starts laughing, and remember, take advantage first, Joe. I'm like, Joe, what was that all about? He goes, that was about sweetness right there. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, that's the guy that turned me in. He said, I've been waiting for that moment and living that moment out in my mind for the last six months. Whew, so sweet. His lack of willing to admit his pain and confessing it made him a violent man. It's no different for us. Then finally, or not finally, but put it down. Okay? Disown it. This is where it gets hard, because when somebody has a debt against us, we have to pay it. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, how many times do I put it down? Seven times a day? Jesus said, no, seven times 70. And then finally, ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Okay, that's it. Go and do it. You're kidding me. It's just that easy, people. Well, let's remember what Jesus is doing here. Number one, uh, you probably are saying, well, where's the, where's the part where we go and do reconciliation with other people? I'm purposely leaving that out because, remember, this is a prayer. This is Jesus teaching us about our relationship with the Father. And He is dealing with us. And He's talking about our need not only to give forgiveness to other people, but also to receive forgiveness from Him. There is a connection here between our need for forgiveness, ours, and then the forgiveness that we need to give to others. In the same way that you forgive others, the Father will forgive you. Now, what is that talking about? Because Jesus isn't saying this is conditional, that the only way you're going to get into heaven is if you forgive everybody who's ever sinned against you. That's not what he's talking about. This isn't a conditional. This is an aspiration that he's leading us to. And let me help us understand that. Because for us to know how to walk into this with power, for this to be a reality in our lives, we've got to connect it to our forgiveness. So can we take about 10 minutes and talk about our forgiveness? Because there's nowhere in Scripture when we talk about forgiveness that it's not linked to repentance. So for us to talk about our own forgiveness, forgive us, Father, of our sins, we're talking about repentance. And most of us have grown up in traditions that either had nothing to do with repentance or had a lot to do with repentance. But wherever you are today, there are two ways to approach repentance. I can approach it by it's time to get right with God. You ever heard that, man? I just just need I need good time at just confessing so I can get right with God. I'm so far away from God. Or approaching repentance with I am right with God. Let's talk about them. First, let me say what repentance is not. Repentance, getting forgiveness, is not our way of getting God back. This idea that when I sin, God's disappointed. This idea that God's kind of looking at me and tapping his toes. This whole idea that God's ashamed of me and can't believe that I committed that sin again. That this whole idea that God has sent me to my room. You know? <sighs> Ugh. You know, we have that idea when we understand this, when is God most pleased with you? When is God delighting in you? And if your answer is like, man, like when I'm worshiping him or when I'm doing if I'm going to church, when I'm on a missions trip, when I'm in a Bible study or you know, when I'm thinking pure thoughts, you know, that If that's what you're saying, then when you sin and you blow it, then what does God think? Repentance is not our way of getting God back in a sense that our sin has pushed Him away. Second, sin is not, our repentance isn't the road to self-improvement. Some of us grew up thinking that what sin is, or what repentance is, is me making deals with God. And so what we do is we go in this cycle um, that I sin. Okay. You got any more markers up there? That marker needed to repent of its lack of ability. Hey, all right. Okay, think for a minute. Okay, this is where it comes life applicable. Think about your sin. Not in a whole, but in part. Your favorite sin, all right? Think about it, the one that you just love, all right? You got it? If you have a hard time coming up with that, then we need to go to another sermon, all right? Because, trust me, you're a better sinner than you let other people let on that you are. Aren't you? Yeah? Seriously? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then you're a better sinner than you've let yourself in on. Because you're a lot worse than you think you are. There's great comfort in that, all right? So... You got your favorite sin and you sin it and you just you revel in it, you roll in it, you know, you drink it up, you pour it all over your hair and everything. And then after it's all said and done, what happens? I feel awful. And in my feeling awful, I can't believe that once again I came to this sin. And so I feel like that repentance now must be me making some kind of new commitment to God and me renewing myself in some new way. So I resolve to say to God, I will never commit that sin again. I promise you, Lord, if you forgive me this time, here's the deal I'll make to you. I will never go back to that sin again. Actually, you would not believe I'm not even going to go near that part of town again. Or I'm not going to go near that person again. Or Trust me, I will never again trust Bud Light for my weekend fun. Please, Lord, I resolve that if you forgive me, then I will never do it again. We make deals because that's what repentance is, isn't it? It's a U-turn to where I convinced God that I was going in one direction, but no, 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 hang over. I'm going in another direction now, and it involves coffee and, and tomato juice. you know. And so I am not going back that way at least for another three hours. Right? Because what happens when we make a res- resolve? When we resolve not to do something, uh, we want to do it so much more now. And it gets hard, doesn't it? then guess what happens something this is this is 7th level spirituality now because it gets harder all right and then i fall back into sin and what happens when i when i view repentance like this when i view my unforgiveness with god as me being a deal maker and me making promises and me being ashamed of my behavior in such a way that it isolates me from my own soul Because now in this context, shame becomes the most dominant emotion I'm experiencing in my spiritual journey. I'm ashamed of myself. And when shame takes root, guess what fruit it produces? Self-hatred. When I live in shame long enough, I hate me. And when I hate me, what's the fruit that comes out of I hate me? Everybody else hates me too. I can't believe that you love me. Your words are, Joe, in Joe Marion's words, your words are just careful manipulation to take advantage of me before I can take advantage of you. Because I already believe that none of your words of life are true. I hate me. And I know you hate me. And guess what's more? God hates me. That's a broken way to live, isn't it? Because it's not the gospel. So what is repentance? We don't have a lot of time, but let me say a couple things before I explain that. One is, uh, if you don't hear anything else, people, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven, period. Hebrews 10, verse 4. You should write this down. You should tattoo it on your face backwards, so that every time you look in the mirror, you see it, all right? Bud light will not set you free. No, that's not what it says. Hebrews 10:4. because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you hear that? Because by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, remember, that there is forgiveness when a debt is paid. And there was a great debt that was owed and Christ understood that and He went and paid a great price and the price that He paid cost Him His life. It was a bloody, bloody sacrifice because it was a bloody, bloody debt. But when He paid that price, what were the last words He said on the cross? It is finished. And because it's finished, I'm the one that He says that I've been made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. If you're in Christ today, you are are forgiven as far as the east is from the west that's how far the lord has thrown your sins if we're in christ we're forgiven that means that we're no longer slaves to sin it has no claim on us we're free from its accusations and its condemnations when satan one day when we stand before the lord and he points out at us and goes you don't know what they've done i was there on that july 4th weekend in 2010 <laughs> and the lord looks at the cross and he goes no charge It was covered. That debt was paid. Really? That means every sin that you've committed, every sin that you're committing right now because you'd rather be somewhere else, and every sin that you're going to commit in the future, it's all paid for if you're in Christ. It's not Christ plus my repentance. It's not Christ plus me going to church. It's not Christ plus me memorizing Scripture. It's not Christ plus me praying. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Christ, period. He did it all. God sees me in the position of Christ. I'm in His favor. And in that favor, He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Sin will never remove you from the place of being in God's favor. Even when I'm in the sin, uh, that I hear these words because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the Lord says, I rejoice over you with singing. I delight in you. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? It's hard to swallow because we live so long in this cycle right here. That when somebody comes in and says, you are beautiful, when all you've heard all your life is, you are disgusting. That when somebody says, you are beautiful, we look at them and go, what do you want? Because we can't believe it. But Christ is pronouncing it. What do we know about repentance? If you want to study this, because I'm about to finish this because I need to take us through this. You write down these verses. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18. And in 2 Timothy 2.25, all these verses talk about that repentance is a gift from God. It's not the gift that we give to God. It's the gift that God gives to us. So how do we repent? The first thing we do, we own it. Get this, in Psalm 51 it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I've been married for 20 years. And uh, my wife, Rodea, is. some of you know her, and uh, she's a pretty amazing woman. But uh, we have this habit in our marriage, it's not a good habit, uh, it's actually a bad habit. It's the, uh, it's the merry-go-round blame game. When something goes wrong and our emotions get up, we get on this merry-go-round of, well, wait a minute, you, you did. And then she'll go, oh, that's great, that's great. You're bringing that up. You did this. And I'll say, well, the only reason I did this is because you said that. Well, I didn't say that. If I did, it was only because you said this. And it, be, it becomes this, you know, merry-go-round of just trying to shut each other down and prove that I'm right and that you're wrong, because our marriage would be so much better if you would just realize that I'm right in this. (laughs) And if you would just repent of your ignorance and come into my way of thinking, then we would be happy. And Right? If any of you have been married uh, or are married right now, you know the story. If you've ever been in a relationship where it's so much easier to blame. Well, what's funny about my journey of repentance is when I own the fact that in my In my dealings with my wife, my attempt on the merry-go-round of blame is to shut her down. That's my attempt. I'm going to shut her down. Because if I can shut her down, then I can win. And if I can win, then we can have peace in this house. Own it. Well, guess what? For me to own it, I've got to really own it. Because I have to ask this question, and this is a nasty question when it comes to my own sin. Why do I want to shut her down? Because that's where it gets ugly. I want to shut her down because I'm self-righteous. I want to shut her down because when she has an argument against me, my natural reaction is self-protection. I want to shut her down because I have a hard time admitting that I'm wrong. Because I want to be right. I want to be the king of my house. I want to be the God that rules her life. I have a hard time because I need to be the winner. That's true. That and more. You know, when we read Scripture, it says this is love when one lays down their lives for another. But oftentimes in marriage, it's this is love when I take your life on behalf of our marriage. Somebody's going to die, but it's not going to be laying my life down. I will willingly take your life for the love of our marriage. So for me to own it, I have to say to God that I don't believe in your righteousness. I don't believe in your protection. I don't believe in your provision. I don't believe in your rightness. And because I don't believe in those things, I don't live those things out in my relationship with my wife, even if I am right. So the root of my sin is not, I did a bad thing. The root of my sin is, God, I don't believe you. It's my unbelief. In Psalm 51, that's why after David committed adultery and murdered Uriah, he said, to God against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. See, this is freeing. I know this sounds like it stinks, doesn't it? But this really is freeing because if I come into the knowledge of knowing that I am already forgiven, then I can go to my heart and be honest with myself maybe for the first time in my life. And when I'm honest with myself, I allow myself to also be honest about the pain when other people hurt me. And when I'm honest about the pain that I'm experiencing because other people hurt me, now I begin to understand when Scripture says when we sin, it grieves the heart of our Father. And why does it grieve the heart of our Father? Is He grieving because He's disappointed and He's shocked and He's surprised because He didn't think we were ever going to commit that sin? No. God knows what's going on. He's grieving because He knows the hurt and the damage that comes with sin. And He grieves for us. And so when we feel the pain of other people's sins against us, we join in the grieving of the Father that we know the damage of sin and we grieve with Him. What's the next thing we do when it comes? We own it, own our own sin, then we confess it. Remember, we're already forgiven. We're moving through this idea of forgiveness not as God is the judge, but as our Father. We're moving through the clouds that come between us and the confusion that we feel because we've done something against God. In Psalm 32, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. And in forgiving me, you returned me back to my sanity. When we're confessing and being honest and the Lord releases us from the guilt of our transactions and brings us into the awareness of that and returns us to our sanity, that is when we can follow Him because that's where sane living is because that's what we were made for. And where is He leading when we go back to sanity? He's leading us to the cross. It's exactly where I need to go when I'm dealing with other people, it connects me to the power of what took Christ to the cross. Because that same power now is working through me. The third in our journey of repentance with the Lord is to put it down or to disown it. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins Whose sins the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. We are forgiven. And because we're forgiven, because we understand that, now it empowers us to forgive other people. Jesus used this example when he talked about the servants. Remember the story where the servant who owed a million dollars went to his master, and the master forgave him, but then he went and found a guy who owed him five bucks and beat him to a pulp and threw him in prison. And what did the master say to him? Because you didn't understand the forgiveness that was given you. You weren't able to give it to someone else. What a wicked servant. And what Jesus is saying is that when we begin to understand the depth in which we have been forgiven, that we can put it down. We are free. Then we can begin to extend that to other people. And then finally, asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Why? Lead me in your way, Lord. You can go back and read Psalm 32, 7 through 11. It concludes with this Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, you who are upright in heart, joyful repentance. Then I'm released from my guilt, the burden is gone, and it gives me the courage to release others from that. So, why do I forgive other people? Well, it's pretty simple. Because I'm selfish. I really am. I want to understand my own forgiveness. I want to understand my own freedom. I want to understand how I can more receive the grace that God is pouring out on me. And then when I give it to other people, it sets me free. And it also sets them free. So let's do something. Let me stop for a minute. We're about to come to the table these bulletins we've put together to help you in your prayer life. But let's just have a moment of prayer before we come to this table. So uh, so join me in some meditation here. And let me ask you this question. As we grow quiet and think about our own hearts, are there any difficult relationships where you've been harboring resentment? Anger or unforgiveness towards someone who's hurt you? Think about that for a minute. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a wound from a long time back. Maybe the person sitting right next to you. Maybe even somebody that you are married to. Can you picture what it would look like? if your heart let go and forgave them. Lord, we uh, just come in preparation for this table and just own the fact that people have hurt us, Lord that there's not a person in this room that can say no one's ever hurt them. And it's so easy, Lord, not to forgive and just harbor that. And it's even easier to downplay the pain. But Lord, thank you that we have the freedom right now to just own it, that we are hurting, we've been hurt. We just confess to you, Father, that it's so easy for us to forget how much you forgave us and want revenge rather than grace. But Lord, right now, we just we put it down. We, we release these people from the debt that they owe us. In full view of the debt that you've released us from, Lord, we go to the cross right now and pay the price, the painful price of letting them go. And pray, Holy Spirit, you would be our constant companion now and lead us in this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a great Sunday for us to come to the Lord's table because it is this table is all about what we've been talking about. And I want to encourage you that forgiving someone and healing from a wound are two different things. Don't let your heart deceive you in thinking that when you release somebody from a death they owe to you, that that means that you don't hurt anymore. That's just not true. Wounds sometimes take their own time to heal. But as we come to this table, we come and realize the wounds that were inflicted on our Savior because of us. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're coming here to do two things. We're coming to taste, to smell, to touch, and to experience together this beautiful reminder of what the Lord did for us that he paid such a great debt, our debt, on the cross. But we're also coming to proclaim, not just to remember, but also to proclaim that this is true for us as a community. It's true for us as individuals. But there's also a warning here. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about two things. One is that if you're not a Christian this morning, if that's not your story, that you've come to a place where you've experienced the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, if that's confusing to you, if you're not sure that's ever a reality that you've ever stepped into, or you have a lot of questions about that, the Lord says, stop where you are. Deal with that first. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you have doubts about that, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this notion that God can set us free from shame and guilt and give us the power to set other people free too. Maybe you're hearing that for the first time this morning and you want to say, man, I'm in. I want that. You know, Joel and Russ and myself, we're going to be either up here or in the back. Come and grab one of us and say, lead me to that place. Because that needs to take place before you come and remember. You can't remember something that's never happened, right? That's fantasy. Remembering a reality is rich. But then we also come to proclaim that not only we're forgiven, but we also walk in that forgiveness. If that's not true for you this morning, if there's a part of your life where you're saying, God, you can't touch this. I don't know if it's the way you deal with money, relationships, sexuality, whatever it is, that you're saying to God, hands off. God says, wait, true love is truth. Let's deal with that first. Let's go to that place. Let's deal with why you're not connecting with the Lord there before you come to the table. It's disingenuous. And also, the Lord says He disciplines in that. So I encourage you, if there are things that are keeping you from coming to this table, that you come and talk to one of us or we'll pray for you or deal with it right now with the Lord. Now, some of you are going to do this big mind trick right now. (gasps) Do I have something? What is it? Oh, no. Did I I ask for forgiveness of that? No, wait. i got to list that. Let me just say this. If you have a desire to give it all to the Lord, come. If you have a need for this table, come. If that need is trumping everything else in your life, come. But if the Lord brings to your mind something He wants to deal with you with, then follow Him to that place and let Him deal with that. Then come. And if you're confused about that, grab one of us, and we'll pray with you and walk you through it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this table that represents your body and your blood. Lead us in this place, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.